Just a, an announcement real quick. We have found a nice tennis bracelet. Riley, you're saying this is yours? Hang on tight to it. How much, how much are you going to bid on those baked goods? <laughs> oh, it's good to see each and every one of you. And uh, I tell you what, we hated to cancel, postpone. We was really looking forward to the chili supper tonight, but uh, they had us at Bomb Cyclone. You know, there's some things you just got to give way to. So anyway, uh, we look forward to next week and tasting all those wonderful chilies that uh, I'll probably win. So anyway, that's besides the point. It's hard to beat a big can of Hormel. You know what I mean. You know. Oh, how you guys doing? Good. Today uh, we are in part two of restoration, and it's really the conclusion of the series. Just two part series. Really, just a reminder that uh, we do need restored, and if we have been restored by the Lord. How wonderful that really is in life. If you've experienced restoration by Jesus Christ, you have a wonderful story to share, to tell. You have a sentimentality about what God has done for you. Last week, we looked at two of the most well-known figures in the New Testament and their restoration The Apostle Paul and Peter. Peter denying Jesus three times, failing his Lord that he had walked with for three years and had seen such amazing things. Peter failed the Lord in that he disowned himself from the Lord. And the Apostle Paul, who loved God in his own unique way, dedicated to God in his own unique way until he was struck down by Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus, that divine intervention, and then restored three days later as the scales fell from his eyes and his blindness gone. Jesus restores his people into right relationships. But in that, I also said that we sort of want to do the best that we can to be like Jesus in those areas of our lives and restore others that we have relationships with. You know, I thought about this text that I'm going to share this morning. We'll move through it fairly quickly. It is probably the most well-known biblical story in the New Testament for sure. You know, when you think of the one verse that's most known worldwide, you probably right here with me are thinking John 3.16. Well, this story is that story. Of restoration. It is the story of the son that we know as the prodigal son. 
Now, to sort of set the stage, we have in Luke chapter 15, verses 1-2, this statement that Jesus is eating and receiving tax collectors and sinners. And the Pharisees are grumbling about what they are witnessing. And it would be wrong not to point out that this word receive, or in some translations, welcoming, but this word receive is a really important word. Because behind this meaning, the depth and the flavor of this word Jesus is receiving tax collectors and sinners, there is the meaning of anticipation. There is the meaning of expectation. There is this meaning of excitement. It's not a matter of Jesus is just sort of waiting for it to happen. It is the idea that Jesus is expectantly anticipating with great joy for it to happen. In other words, it's what he's about. So as we've said the last few weeks that Jesus came to seek and save the lost, he came here to receive them. In fact, in John chapter 1 verse 11, to those who received him, he received them. And I want us to see that as you look at Luke 15 as a whole and you see these three stories, you see the essence of Jesus. Now someone might think, well, the the main point in, in preaching the parable of the prodigal or lost son is so that we would be like Jesus in that aspect. That we would love the lost. In fact... We see that the opening story is a hundred sheep, one is lost, the shepherd goes out, finds that sheep, puts it on his shoulders, carries it back to the flock, and calls everyone to celebrate with him because he's found his lost sheep. The next parable is a woman has ten silver coins, she loses one, and she lights the lamp, sweeps the house, and when she finds that coin, she calls everyone together to celebrate because of what was lost is now found. And then you have the story of the prodigal son with a similar type of ending, but this time it's, it's not an animal, it's not a, an object, it's a boy. And the point, God loves the lost, God loves the lost, God loves the lost. And as you look at the older son in the story that we talk about today, so should you. But I want to say my main point today is not to get you to be like Jesus in that way. Because that's just always a given. But it really is for you today to step back and see Jesus for who He is. 
to see Jesus receiving sinners, to see Jesus receiving tax collectors, to see him excited about it, anticipating it. The purpose of everything he is, is to have relationship with sinners and tax collectors. Because I hope that we see Jesus in that way. I think uh, as we look at this story, we open up in verses 1. There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. You know, uh, when you're young, you, you do some stupid things. And there's no way other to describe it than just to call it like it is. You do and you say some stupid things. I did. I did. And as I thought about sharing one, it almost like in the pit of my stomach. I'm, I'm serious. Like I've been just punched in the pit of my stomach. I sort of want to cry over it. I want to, you know, I regret it. But when you're 14, 15, you're rebellious. You think you know best. You don't want to be told what to do. You don't appreciate what you have. You love it in some sense, but you don't appreciate it. You don't value it. You take it for granted. And you do and you say stupid things. Here's mine. Just one of mine. I hate this place. I hate this house. I've got to get away. Hop on the motorcycle and ride. Loved my mom and dad, but just, you know, you don't understand. You don't get it. I've got to be free. I want to do my own thing. I'm tired of hearing no. I hate this place. Stupid. Inconsiderate. Foolish. And would scream it. As I was going out the door, mom and dad heard it. Ever been there? Well, if you've been there and it's been 45, 50 years later, you know why I say in the pit of your stomach, you can almost cry about it. Because you wish those people were there so you could say, you know, I love this place. What I'd give to be able to go home and for them to be there. But they're gone and they're with him. We do stupid things, we say stupid things. We're sinners. We're rebellious. And we have a young man that is representing all of us here as Jesus tells this story 
of receiving sinners. There was a man who had two sons. The younger son becomes rebellious in the story. He wants his share of the stuff. He gets it. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. It's just a picture of how people at different stages choose willingly to walk away and detach themselves from God. We don't know how he left. We don't know if he, I hate this place. I got to get away. But he left willingly the Father's presence. He chose to leave. To do it his way. And it's interesting that Jesus in the story says when he got far enough away... He squandered his wealth in doing what he wanted to do. And we can see in the wording itself that it wasn't good things that he was doing. There is a reality that when you detach yourself, walk away from the Lord... Eventually, you find yourself doing things that at one point in your life you would have never done because you were close enough to the Father's presence to get a good nudge, a good word to keep you in line to protect you. Not to deny you, but to protect you. But I guess... The reality is, for most of us, we've got to go our way and fail and learn from that failure. But if you're here and you're young, you know, maybe you can learn from this story and save yourself grief Upon grief. But whatever the reason, we've all at some point, in some way, walked away from the Lord. That's my point. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need I want to do it my way I got to get away from this place I've done it my way now the problem of me doing it my way the reaping the results of me doing it my way they start to fall on me I have no resources they're all gone I have no father. I've walked away from him. There's nobody else that really cares about me. 
It may not be true for everyone here, unfortunately. But it's true, I think, for most. If you have a mother and father, there's nobody in this life that loves you more than your mom and your dad. They may not know how to show it. They may have their baggage there carrying as well. But I just believe for most people, because of the way that God has created us, there is no one that loves you more than your mom or your dad. He don't even have that. Because he's walked away from it. And the friends were there when it was fun. When he was paying for the party. But now the money has dried up. And he's all alone. And he starts to be in need. When you detach yourself from the Lord, the ultimate place you end up is being in need. And what we're beginning to see is this metaphor that is going to be talked about at the very end. We're seeing a picture of lostness, of death, simply being all alone, no one caring, by yourself, lost, and metaphorically speaking, almost dead. That's why the father in this story, at the end of the story, says to the older son, my son, my son, your, your younger brother was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, but now he's alive. This is that picture Choosing to be away from the Lord. It's death. It's lostness. And it's not pretty. He began to be in need. You know the old saying, you reap what you sow? But you know, while that's true, you reap longer than you sow. Is just as true. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed the pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. You see, you just see this progression, this spiraling down. Now he's slopping the swine. Longing to eat what the swine are eating, but no one gives him anything. And then the text says, when he came to his senses. That is more literally when he came to himself. And I think it does make a difference dramatically as we understand it, because it is more specific that when you choose to separate yourself from God, you lose yourself. 
you lose a right way of thinking, a right way of being, a right way of doing. But it says he came to himself. He came to his senses. And he begins to have this conversation as he reflects back to what he walked away from and and the position that he now holds. And he begins to remember his father, his hired servants, their overabundance. And here he is starving to death. And then he makes a decision. A decision that he's going to go home. He makes the decision and he begins to rehearse it. What am I going to say? How am I going to do it? Now, a lot of times we're convicted by something that we've done and and maybe even we come to ourself or our senses a little bit, but... We just can't seem to take the step. We don't move in the direction that we need to be moving in. We have those moments of thought and reflection and regret. I wish I would have said it differently. I wish I would have done it differently. But, you know, and then some time passes and it's like, okay, that's not that. I'll just, go, you know, let it go. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and against you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of hired servants. They have plenty to eat. I know I don't deserve to be considered your son anymore. Just make me like a hired servant. At least I'll have more than what I have here. Verse 20 is full of so many pictures. But while he was still a long way off. I don't know where you are. You know, we we have a way of sort of hiding our lives. If you have chosen to distance yourself from God... By your life, maybe even a secret life, and it's hurt you. And I think that that's the way God has designed it. In His presence, we're renewed. Outside of His presence, we're in a pit, designed to get our attention. To look to him. And we see here, he set out. He started walking home. And the reality is, you can go home. I don't care what you've done, what you've said, how stupid you've been, you can go home. But the picture that I want us to see here is, as he comes home, 
it says, while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. Now, picture that. You've done your own thing. You've done it your way. You've hurt yourself. You get a good eye-opening of the way the world really works. But yet you remember the Father. And you decide, I'm going to go home and this is what I'm going to say. And I'm going to say it because I mean it. I've learned something from the failures of my life. And what we see Jesus showing us is that the Father has been watching all the time. Now, you can't push a parable too hard. It has one primary meaning. And I think, personally, the meaning in each three of these parables is God loves the lost. But what you can see is that Jesus tells this story and he adds the details, surely, for us to gain something from it. The Father has never stopped watching for the return of the Son. He expects it. He anticipates it. He hopes or longs for it. Therefore, the word receive and its meaning. We have a Father in heaven that watches, always watches, not too busy to be watching. We might think, oh, he's got way too much on his plate. No, he doesn't. He is the Lord. He can handle it all. He's watching. That's the first picture. And he's filled with compassion is the second picture. There's times whenever I hate this house and I ran out and rode my motorcycle and did my thing, would come back that evening and Dad would be sitting in a chair drinking a big glass of iced tea out of a mason jar and I'm thinking, you know, I'd sort of got over my moment of insanity and how am I going to walk back in the house and... Is he going to unload on me? Because he had every right to unload on me, but supper's in the fridge. Compassion. This is a picture of compassion. Although the son's right, don't deserve anything. Here the father that Jesus is talking about in our lives has compassion as he sees his son coming down the lane. Aren't you glad that your God is a compassionate God? None of this, well, I'll just wait for him right here. Let's see, you know, how sorry he is. You know, he's, he's got to take ownership of this. He's got to make it right. He's going to say the right things or I'm going to unload I remember when we first moved up here, Ashley was going through this 
rebellious stage, nothing bad, just for the love of all that's right, please clean your room. And then that became more and more of a, like a, you know, showdown. Please clean your room. It smells. I don't like all this. I got pictures of it. I still, like, show it to her. Like, it look, I mean, it really and truly looked like you threw a dynamite in the room. It just exploded. And it finally came to a head. And I squared off with her. And I said, you cleaned the room today or you can find another place to live. She moved out. (laughs) Packed her bag in a suitcase and left. I was torn up inside because that's not the reaction I was expecting. You know, it's like, was gone three days. Now, fortunately, I had networking. I knew where she was. She was at a friend's house. But she's stubborn. More stubborn than I was. And she's working like in these, uh, this company where you go into Sam's or Costco and you're sort of that aisle person trying to get people to taste this sample or that sample. And so I finally, I, like, I go over there. I got I to gotta fix this. I said something, you know, this is not what we need. She needs to be home. And thank God she was as glad to see me as I was to see her when I walked in. And all defenses were just disarmed. And, and she came home. And I was hugging on her like she had been gone for 10 years. Compassion. I love my daughter. I love my son. I want them home in my house where I know they're safe and sound. I sleep better when my kids are all in the house, even today. The father here is pictured, as Jesus tells it, as filled with compassion. God! God cares where you are. God cares what you're doing. God cares when you're estranged from Him. God cares and wants you restored. That's our God filled with compassion. God cares about you, your life, what's going on even when you've walked away from Him. How blessed. Are we? Third picture. He ran to his son. Now, I walked in to Sam's, but it's the way I was feeling. I never tied it with a text like this, but in that situation, I'm the father, she's my daughter. No. She didn't come back to the house. She probably would have if I could have held out, but I couldn't hold out. And thank God I didn't. I don't think there's probably anyone more dignified. And for a fact, I know there's no one more holy than our God. He is righteous above all others. 
who is the most dignified person that you can think of right now? You know, maybe even a little bit of uppity, but dignified. I know a person like that, and I couldn't mention the name because I know I'd offend them, but I can't picture them running. You know, you, you run for two reasons. To save your life as an older person, or you're happy. God runs. Doesn't walk, doesn't wait. Sees from a distance because he's always watching. Filled with compassion because he knows what's happened. And runs. Runs to his child. That's the third picture. That's who Jesus is telling us our God is. Oh, we want to be like him, but we first got to know that's who our God is. That's why he receives tax collectors and sinners so joyfully. Next picture, throws his arms around him. Parents of young children, hug your children while they're little. Carry them around while you can in your arms, even though your arm hurts. Because there's going to come a time that they don't want you to touch them. And then there come a time where you get to hug them again. Kiss them on the cheek again. In this story, the father runs and takes the child in his arms, wraps his arms around him, and kisses him. The son begins to speak what he rehearsed. And that's repentance. It's not enough just to think it. Dear God, I repent of the stupid things I did when I was young. I've done that. Lord, I regret it. Thank you for giving me parents that got it and didn't hold it against me. Because I couldn't imagine having a parent or parents that held it against me and it created a wedge because it would have affected everything that I understood about family and love. But repentance to realize what you've done and how wrong you've been. That you have sinned. That you have walked away. That you have detached. That you have disowned. That you have failed your God. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm turning away from those things. I want to come home. Don't let anything or anyone in this life keep you 
from coming home. If the Spirit is pricking your spirit, bringing you to yourself and your senses, get up for love of God, for the love of a compassionate Father, and get on that road and head home. Repentance, genuine, real, sincere, authentic, true. But the Father said to His servants, and here is the beautiful picture of restoration. I don't even deserve to be your child. Just make me like one of the servants. You know, in the greater sense, we're all servants of God, right? But in another more important sense, we are children of God. We are His sons and His daughters that have been given this unique place and position because of our trust and faith in Him. But the Father said, bring the best robe and put it on Him. He, he don't deserve... This is a picture of grace and being lifted back up. Put a ring on His finger, which was always at time a sign of sonship. And sandals on His feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. Restoration. The Father is always willing and desiring to restore the relationship. And on our parts, in relationships to others where we can, we need to be people that try to restore one another. And give grace, even if we're sinners, even if we're failures. Amen? That's what it's about. We have an elder in this church that's been estranged, separated from his son for 40 years. Forty years separated from his son. It's a long time. There was a disagreement at a young age. Estrangement came out of that. Forty years. Everybody was trying to give advice through the years, do this and do that. And the father's like, I've just got to leave it in the Lord's hands and not try to fix this on my own. They would see each other at family gatherings from time to time and no more than niceties because... It was a break. It was, I'm done with you. That elder is Jack Myers here today. 
and his son, Kevin Myers. Kevin Myers is a pastor of the fastest growing church in America. Over 12 campuses, bigger than Andy Stanley's church. Fastest growing church in America, in Georgia, 12 stones, led by Kevin Myers, Jack's son. But estranged, 40 years. As you know, Jack's not getting any younger. And if you're like me, you're thinking, we got to fix this. You know, we always try to get in the way and fix things instead of just waiting and trusting the Lord. Jack gets an unexpected text from his son several weeks ago. Can we meet if I come up there on such and such a date? You pick the restaurant. Don't want anybody else there. Just you. Jack, yes. The meeting is arranged. His son flies in for the afternoon. They sit down. Neither one knows how it's going to go, but we get the insight as the story develops that Kevin figured that Jack was going to give it to him for the way he's behaved. And Jack thought maybe... The same thing might happen to him. Just didn't know. No one knew. And they sat there and Kevin started sharing. He says, Dad, I got to tell you something. Uh, I've been working on a sermon series. Fastest growing church in America. His messages pined out to 12 campuses. But I was in my study working on my sermon and nothing was coming to me. Nothing. I was praying, but nothing. And he said, God spoke to me and said, what about your dad? And Kevin said, Lord, I've, I've, I've forgiven him. And God said, have you restored him? Because we are done, Kevin. I'm done with you. until you fix things with your dad. I'm not giving you any 
anything else. That's the essence of the story. And as they sat there, emotions, tears, Kevin said, Dad, I got you got great grandkids that I want you to meet because even the grandkids, when they'd ask about you, Dad, do you have a dad? I'd just say yes and go on. He said, I want you to meet my kids. I'm sorry. I'm going to tell everybody about us and this story, and, and you share it, you, you whatever you want. And Jack has said, Patrick, share anything or everything. Uh, if you get a chance, have Jack tell you the, the full story if you're just sitting down. But, you know, Jack was just moved that God worked in a way after 40 years and spoke his name to Kevin. What about your dad? And I think there's a lesson in this. You say you forgive somebody. Don't lie to yourself. You've not forgiven them if you've not restored them. When we forgive, we restore And it may have taken 40 years, but God did it in His way and in His timing, and everything is whole and the way it should be. Who have you said you've forgiven, but you haven't restored? Forgiveness and restoration go hand in hand and they cannot be separated. The Father, did He forgive the Son? Yes. Did He restore Him? Absolutely. Because here's the reality. Move it to the next slide for me, please. That's the reality. They were lost. But now they're found. They were dead. But now they're alive. And hopefully, if we've been blind, now we see. The Father restores His children. Yes, we do come back to Him. And we come back in a humble heart with repentance. But our Father restores. And we've all screwed up. We've all done silly, foolish, sinful things. But praise be to our Lord Jesus Christ. He reveals to us what our Father's truly like. He receives tax collectors and sinners. And I'm glad because he's received me back. And if you've been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ, he's received you back. You are his son. You are his daughter. You are a child of the Most High God. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. 
restore somebody. Lift them up. Give them something they don't deserve. But you know it's grace. So that we are maturing to be disciples who love and live like Jesus. Would you pray with me? Father in heaven, we praise your name. And we thank you for a story that talks to us on so many different levels in our own lives. And we just pray today that we can be compassionate and be merciful to one another. But, Father, that most of all, that we can leave here today knowing that you are a good, good Father. And that we are blessed. If there's someone here, Lord, that doesn't have the relationship with you, we pray that you're moving on them now, that they would come forward, Lord, and just ask, what do I need to do to be restored in your sight? It is in Jesus' name that we pray for this to happen. Amen.